Welcome to the Member Engagement Show with Higher Logic, the podcast for association professionals looking to boost retention, gain new members, and deepen member involvement. Each episode, I'll bring on some experts, we'll talk shop about engagement, and you'll walk away with strategies proven to transform your organization. I'm Beth Arrett, an association evangelist with over 25 years experience in marketing and member engagement, and I'm so happy you're here. Now let's start the show. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us again. Uh, today, we have Joe Delisle with us. Joe, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, that rhymes. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Uh, so do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. So uh, as you mentioned, my name is Joe Delisle. I am the Director of Council Relations with AMGA. That is a medical trade association that works with medical groups, health systems, and other organized systems of care. Um, in a sort of a nutshell, basically, we work with the, the medical groups that attach to some of the major names a lot of people will recognize. So your, your Mayos, your Cleveland Clinics, your Permanentes, we work with those groups. And I work specifically on the community side. And whenever I say council, you could just take that to be community. Um, so really what we do is, in my position, I connect executives so that they can share their challenges, they can go over their innovations, they can talk strategy, they can essentially send a quick message out to each other and, and learn from the crowd. They can crowdsource solutions to whatever issues they're they're dealing with. Um, since we're a medical trade association, the, the group is the member and our communities are the way that we engage the leadership at the individual medical groups. And our communities are two types. We have our leadership councils, which are based on a person's role. So we have, for example, a CEO leadership council, a chief medical officer leadership council, and a bunch of other ones. And the other group of councils that we have are our special interest councils. And those are more based on a demographic. So we have like a women in leadership one, an emerging leaders one, and a couple other based on group demographic. But in a nutshell, again, my role is focused on making sure that the individuals are that are participating in this are getting value, that the individuals in this are getting solutions to some of the common challenges they're all facing. So basically, it sounds like you guys do a lot. <laughs> we we do. And it seems like we're always doing more and more. We just uh, started doing executive recruitment within the last couple last year we, we launched it. So we have a consulting team that we just recently launched in the last year. We have a foundation that does different collaboratives, different campaigns focused on different diseases. We actually just launched our Rise to Immunize campaign that's focused on um, vaccinations and immunizations throughout the country. And of course, we do a ton of meetings and it's nice that we're able to get back to doing these face-to-face uh, -face instead of virtual, which we've been doing for, for so, so long. Yeah, I think everybody's just really happy to be able to get back to face-to-face -face meetings. It's, there's something about it you just can't quite replicate. I think you touched, you started to touch on a little bit, but one of the reasons why we were like keen to talk to you and why we we're so excited about this is um, because you're trying all kinds of cool new things. So can you tell us a little bit about how you tried some new strategies there to keep things fresh and relevant for your members? Absolutely. So staying fresh and relevant, that's a constant theme that my time, my team is really focused on. We're always trying to figure out what can we tweak, what can we improve, how can we make the experience better. These are all questions we're just dealing with every single day, just trying to figure out how we can be even just a little bit better. Over the years, we've tried to be very targeted and very practical. We're not just changing things on a whim. 
There's always a, a logic that's based on member feedback and observed actions. We do tap into quite a bit of behavioral science to pull some of the different tactics and approaches, but we're, we're constantly looking towards our specific members to figure out what is it that they want from the communities? What is it that they're looking to, to get? What are they trying to, to achieve through their, their interactions with their peers over the, the listservs, over the, the meetings? And we've had some really great success as it relates to you know, changing our meeting formats. We've launched a bunch of new communities and we've had some great learning experiences, like when we tried out our mentorship program. But I mean, outside of that, we do a lot of A-B testing. We sort of recognize that what works today might not work tomorrow. So we're, we're always reevaluating where we are and where something that worked in the past might need to change so that it works better in the future. Well, I think you hit on something that's really key to new things is, is knowing what you're looking for and measuring which kind of leads into the next question of what's been really key to your success when it comes to innovating? Two things I would say. Number one is being in constant contact with the members. And to be clear, this is more than just sending out a survey monkey, monkey asking people to rate things on some random num number scale. I personally don't find those all that helpful. I don't know the difference between a, like a three and a four that doesn't necessarily mean something. So we like to talk to members directly. Uh, what is, has their experience been? What is their expectation? And while you're talking to them, you know, what lights them up? You're, you're, it's active listening. You know, what is, isn't being mentioned? We're trying to identify those two aspects. What lights them up? What aren't they talking about? That can go a long way in helping you figure out where you need to adapt, where things that have gone well in the past might need to be tweaked to remain relevant, and where Maybe some, some of the things that you thought were a great idea, maybe they aren't as valued as you expected. Uh, agreed. And sometimes it can be hard to get support or buy-in for new things because people are uncertain about it for some of the reasons we, you just talked about. So you know, are there any ways that you've used to earn that support or to get buy-in to try new things? Yeah, great question. For me, I think it's actually a large part of it is I think if you can be trusted with the little things then you can get the, the cachet to play with some of the big things. And that's a weird way to say, if you can reply to your emails quickly, if you're demonstrating that you're focused on delivering the best member service possible, if you are demonstrating that you are there for your team, that you are offering improvement ideas, even minor ones, that you are showing that you are coachable, that you care, I think that's how you can earn that trust. And once you earn that trust in the little things, you can start to, to suggest more radical isn't necessarily the right word, but, but larger changes that might cause some hesitation. And once you're able to do that, and once you've done that first change, you've made that first big change, and you can come back and then say, okay, this is what we've learned based on that. It, even if it didn't work, this is what we learned so that we can adapt moving forward. There's a lot of value in, in being able to demonstrate that, that you are coming at it from an unbiased perspective, recognizing that even if it doesn't turn out the way I didn't want or the way I wanted it to, that I still can get something that is actionable out of it to help us create a better experience. And really, I think part of this is don't try to be smarter than you are or that the data will allow you to be. Our, our position, whenever we're doing 
a change is we're not trying to write a peer-reviewed paper. We're looking for directionally accurate data that we can use. We think through why things will work. We think through why things won't work. We run the ideas by members, and then we find the smallest, least intrusive way to try out that change. And it makes it much easier to, to then go to our super, my supervisor to go higher up the food chain and say, this is what we're planning to do. This is what we've sort of tested with members already. This is what they've said. This is how we think we can do it. And this is what we're going to do after the fact. So it's doing these small experiments that are manageable. And again, recognizing that the data is only so good because you're not going to be able to do a perfect experiment. You're not going to be able to write that peer-reviewed paper. I think there's a lot of value in being able to, to go to your leadership and say, listen, this is what we're trying to do. It might not be perfect, but this is what we can learn from it. And this is how it will help us after, after the fact. I know you did this just a little bit a moment ago, but if you'd maybe walk us through using an example, if you've got one process of sort of how you've pitched a new ideas to help other people think about trying something new, but maybe they're not quite sure how to do it. If you have an example. Our communities used to be an add-on for AMJ membership. So a group would join. And then if individuals wanted to join the communities, they would have to pay a separate fee. The individuals would have to pay a separate fee to join. And those became so valuable, so popular that um, AMGA decided, you know what, let's make these included in the membership so we won't make people pay for the, for the add-on. So before we made that change, the, the meetings had this great small church feel to it. And by that, I mean, everybody knew each other. During the face-to-face meetings, everyone was getting a chance to talk. Everyone was being able to connect with each other, to learn from each other. And it was really just a, a super experience that really made you develop connections and bonds with your peers throughout the country. So needless to say, once we made the membership as part of the overall organizational membership, we had a huge explosion of people that wanted to, that wanted to participate in the councils. So meetings that used to have 25 to 35 people grew to 75 to 85. And a handful of them now typically have over 100 registrations or registrants. So we had to figure out how can we bring back that small church feel. As we were doing the meetings, as they were growing, we would survey people and people said, there's a lot of value in the meetings, but we just wish that we had that feel from the old ones. So we actually, we got off a planning call with a bunch, with a few of the members trying to identify topics and it came up again, you know, how can we change the meaning? And we were sitting around a table and we were just chit-chatting. And one of the, one of the sessions that we typically do at our meetings is we have a big session where everybody, all the different councils get to hear one speaker and then they break off into their separate rooms for their private meetings. And Typically, one of the councils especially would start their meeting by just discussing, you know, what did you hear? What was the takeaways? What was valuable from from that big presentation? And we thought, you know, if there are 50 people in the room, 60 people in the room, we can't necessarily do that for every single one, every single person. We can't go and ask every single person what they said. But we've got round tables, so we've got five people sitting at a table. Well, what if what we did was we said, Okay, talk about it with the people at your table. And we said, okay, that works. That's a, that's a good idea. And then we are thinking, why wouldn't this work? And we said, well, okay, what happens if you get to a table and people just don't know how to start off the conversation? And we're like, good, 
good point. And we said, well, this is how we can solve that. We can have a couple of starter questions, just easy to get the ball rolling. And we said, okay, that problem solved. Next problem is what if you're at a table and just people, for whatever reason, don't feel like sharing? I'm like, okay, so maybe we don't want to have people sitting there for 30 minutes or 35 minutes. But what if what we did was we did 10 to 15 minute conversation, table conversations? And then when that 10 to 15 minutes is up, we, we ring a bell or find some way to let people know. And then everybody changes seats. This way, you're never stuck at one single table and you're always meeting new people. So you're sort of getting that feeling of when the, when the meeting was small and you got to know everybody. I'm like, okay, well, let's try this for the next meeting. We tried it for the next meeting. We got the evals back and everybody loved it. It was a complete hit. So we start planning for the next meeting and we're like, okay, well, let's now add this to a presentation because we, we got some complaints that the presentations were getting long. So we said, well, let's shorten the presentations and let's add these roundtable discussions. So we did that and those became a hit. And essentially it's at a point now where essentially our format, our basic, our, our the format we sort of use to start off with is a presentation followed by roundtable discussions and Throughout the day, people are getting up and moving to new topic, new tables after each presentation. So you're constantly on the move. You're constantly meeting new people. You're constantly getting to, to learn from other groups. And I love that. I think it's such a great example of how something that you did worked so well and why. Because you worked through all the possibilities to find the right one. So I think that's why it works so well. Um, I think it's yeah. just a great example. And it really helps to be able to sit down with especially the people that ultimately get to say the, the yay or no, yay or nay, being able to sit with them and work it out with them to get their input, to get their ideas on why things may or may not work, especially recognizing that they're looking at the overall, in my case, meeting from a different perspective than I am. They, they've got a broader perspective than somebody who's trying to, to fill the agenda to, to create that good experience. So getting a chance to work with the, your leadership team and ask them for their input so that you can understand where they're coming from and address their needs, maybe even before you, you do that experiment, that can be a great way to, to get that buy-in. Yeah. And I think that just making it a discussion and not a telling them this is what we're going to do, but discussing them and bringing them into the process has a lot to do with getting buy-in in general across the board. Absolutely. It, yeah, it, it sort of gets back to that showing people you're coachable, that you're not, you don't think you're the smartest person, that you're open to, to others' ideas and others' feedback. I love that. I saw a great quote from Simon Sinek this morning. It said, uh, how do you put it? Uh, an expert knows everything, thinks they know everything. A genius knows they don't. <laughs> I love <laughs> that. <laughs> it's like, fair enough. Uh, so let's talk bit about something that maybe didn't work as well. I think you'd mentioned that mentoring didn't work quite as well. Yeah, it hasn't worked yet. So I almost get the sense that the mentoring is almost the holy grail for associations. It sort of seems like everybody's looking for the right way to do it. And I know there are groups that are doing it pretty well, but it doesn't seem that somebody's got, this is the perfect formula for our mentoring program. Um, but more direct to our experience, when we launched launched our Women in Leadership Council, it was suggested that mentoring was a component of this. So we, we talked to the board and we came up with a plan to create a mentoring program that was essentially run by the members. So in a nutshell, we basically provided the platform through which people could connect with one another 
and some, some guides to help define the relationship, but the actual connection with each other was entirely left to the members and it was dependent on them ask, asking each other, you know, will you be my mentee? Will you be my mentor? Or asking us to make the connection for them. And really because there was that barrier of making the member connect to the, the other member, it really didn't get too far off the, the ground. And so we essentially shelved the, the mentoring program for, for a long time. Actually, it's still shelved. But I will say that before COVID started, we've started to discuss how we can relaunch this type of program successfully. And I do think that we have a framework that is ready for some beta testing. But you know, ultimately, this is a challenge of staffing. From, from my perspective, and based on a lot of conversations I've had and presentations I've seen, you really need someone to own this. So unless you've, you're going to really limit the program to a certain number of people, there's, you really need somebody to take ownership of the mentoring program. And because at that point in time, I was the only person on staff. And so in addition to women leadership, I think we had 13 other councils at that time. Um, so I really couldn't devote the, the time necessary to, to, to make those connect member to member connections. So ultimately it, it's, it hasn't panned out, but like I say, I think we've got a good framework to, to make it successful moving forward. That's a really, this is a case of us getting in front of this front of our skis and looking back on it. It's one of those cases where, you know, I wish I had spoken up and said, you know, these are a couple of the challenges rather than, okay. Let's, this is a great idea. Let's make it work. We probably got it too, too ahead of ourselves on that one. Well, if you do crack that one, uh, I'd like you back here, please, so that you can tell us <laughs> how you did that. That'd be amazing. Yeah. I, I and I, I've got to be, I've got to be honest, like this isn't, we, we had somebody on staff who she worked on the women in leadership council for, for the longest time. And she developed sort of the framework. Um, that I, I think we're gonna we're gonna work with it. There are a couple, there are a few tweaks we're gonna make, but she really built the, the framework for this, and I'm really optimistic about it. Excellent. I look forward to hearing about that after it works, because I'm sure it will. Yeah, if anybody can make it work, I think it, you can. <laughs> Thank you. Well, uh, I mean, just look at your track record and how you've talked about how you walk through things. I think it's you know, I think it's a pretty sure bet that if anybody can make it work, it would be you. So when you when you crack it, you're coming back, right? Absolutely. Okay, good. Um, so let's go, back, let's go back to meetings for a moment and talk about pivoting to virtual. How did you approach that with some innovation? Yeah, so obviously COVID sort of knocked the, the medical community down really quickly, really early, um, being on the front lines of it. So, you know, March, this is hitting. I'm coming back from paternity leave at the time. And all of a sudden it's like, okay, now we have to go virtual, something we haven't ever done. And because we hadn't really done virtual to the extent we were going to, we really decided to keep it simple. Uh, first, we looked at what our members were doing and facing. We recognized that they're pressed for time. They're working you know, 16, 18-hour shifts a day, and they need information fast because nobody knows what's going on. So essentially what we did was we, we quickly organized some succinct presentations. And I mean succinct. We're talking 10 to 15 minutes. And we staggered them at various times and naturally recorded everything. And the, the reason we staggered it at various times was recognizing that some people were available in the morning, some people were available, available in the afternoon, others were available in the evening. And as it's evolved, you know, the presentations have gotten longer, more thorough. 
but we've still kept it really simple. We are really looking for two, uh, maybe th- I guess three things. We want good audio and we want good video first and foremost. And then number three on the list is good speakers because when you have good audio, good video, and good speakers, that can that provides all the value that you need without having the, the added expense of some of the, the virtual meeting platforms. Don't get me wrong, those platforms are great, they serve their purpose, but what people really are looking for is good audio, good video, good speakers. And when we're trying, in the middle of a pandemic, we're trying to just get information fast, and distributed fast and wide, we just kept it simple, we went Zoom. And as we get out of the pandemic, you know, we're working with the members to continue the, that virtual offering. And so we're working with our councils, we're working with our communities, to find a schedule and focus that works for them. And by that, I mean, some of the councils are going to, are meeting every month. Some of them are meeting every other month. Others of them are meeting every uh, once a quarter. And some of them are just, just want to meet on an ad hoc basis. So essentially we go out to each one of our communities and we say, what are the topics that you all are dealing with on, on which you would like to have a Zoom meeting? So we get them together. And some of them, it's very specific. We want to talk about compensation. We want to talk about physician burnout. We want to talk about access. We want to talk about telehealth. For others of them, it's we just want to get a chance to talk to each other and hear what everyone's doing. So we'll hold uh, occasional hot topic calls where we'll just say, okay, we'll open it up. What are the, the topics that you want to talk about? And we'll start in one location and we'll bounce to three or four throughout the time. And because these are each for, made to fit individual councils and individual roles, the, the times are different. So some of them are 30 minutes. Some of them are 45 minutes. Some of them are 60 minutes. We've done a couple 15-minute ones, just short, short and sweet. But we re- record them all, and then we distribute them all through our, through our online community so that anyone who can't make it is able to still tune in and get that information after the fact. Which, I mean, catering to your members' needs is the number one thing, key to success. So, I th- yeah. yeah. I mean, and I think that's what you've done so well any of your members needs and then making sure that you cater to them is that's it that that's the key right there and i think especially as it seems people are looking for information that is more and more personalized or specific to their role to what they're doing i think that goes uh, goes a long way and i think that's honestly i think that's the big reason why our our communities have been as successful as they are i don't doubt that for a second you kind of touched on it a little bit actually just there but in general, and how is innovating really paid off for your organization and for you specifically? So organizationally, our the councils are our largest and highest rated member program. It's been that way, that way for years now, and their popularity and value has only grown over the, the course of the pandemic. I'm blanking on the exact numbers, but there's a, a 90 plus percent retention rate for groups with people in councils. And when you look at our primary count, uh, primary contacts that are involved in councils and active, you're looking at a 99% retention rate. I can't actually think of a single time when we lost a member group when the primary contact was actively involved in the community, um, not just, and by active, I mean just not passively observing the, the, the discussion list messages, but actually um, being an active participant. Uh, we also use Net Promoter Score for or, our organization. And our community members, our council members, always have a, a higher score 
compared to those not in the community. So that's from the organizational perspective. And then, you know, me personally, it's, it, it's always great to, to hear from people who are making a difference in the lives of, you know, countless patients um, and being able to say, you know, because of this, we were able to, to do this better. We were able to make this change so that we could provide care better, so that we could provide care quicker, so that we could be more, more valuable to, to our patients. Um, and, and some of the, quite frankly, some of the, the messages that we got, especially during the pandemic, were, were it's like, it, it was just amazing and very, very humbling to hear, you know, a CEO or a CMO say we couldn't have gotten through without, we couldn't have gotten through all this without the, the, the support of the community, without the, the, the Zoom sessions that you're putting on, without the, the presentations, without the connections that you were able to help facilitate, that, that's just been hugely uh, rewarding from a, from a personal standpoint. I, I, I love that. I just get, I get the warm and fuzzies just hearing you talking about it. So that's awesome. Um, it's so nice that, you know, considering all that they go through and all that they're putting into it, A, to see the kind of support they got, but B, see that they are so supportive and appreciative of it is, it's, it's, it's awesome. You know, whenever you're doing something for somebody else and, and those people come back and say, you know, this is appreciated, it, it always it, it always feels good, especially when when you're doing it for people who are making the difference, um, life or death differences in many cases for, for you know, countless numbers of people. Yeah, especially considering the last couple of years. So that's, I love that part of the story. Um, so... What do you think are the risks for associations of remaining in the status quo? I mean, the obvious risk is someone's going to come along and offer a better version of what you're doing. Yeah. The threat is that your offering becomes stale, it becomes outdated, or it becomes predictable. And I, I think that is something that can be overlooked. The, the predictability part, people, you know, predictable is safe. But, you know, people are looking for, for fresh, they're looking for new ideas, they're looking for something new to, to latch on to. Your, your members' experience and expect, expectations are, are changing with every new product out there. Your, com your comp uh, competition isn't just an association focused on the same members. It's Amazon delivering one-click checkouts. It's YouTube offering curated videos based on what you've watched. Um, it's whatever the newest smart home application is. People are bringing that expectation to your your service, to your offering. And so if you're not looking to continue to evolve, to continue to make yourself relevant, to continue to make yourself fresh, to continue to meet those changing needs, you're, you're just opening yourself up for somebody else to come along and, okay, well, I'm going to take what they've done and build a new version of it that's maybe just a little bit different, but a little bit different can be all that makes the difference between somebody renewing and somebody going to something new. And this is why we're constantly looking at the next step in the evolution of our communities. You know, our goal is to connect executives to solve problems. So what's the best way, given the expectations, given the technology, given their time available to our members, you know, how can we facilitate that rep, rep, uh, relationship building? That's that's why we're constantly trying to stay, stay fresh, stay relevant. I know I keep repeating that, but I can't stress how important that is. Agreed. And I think um, that's important for people to hear it repeated because had you 
at the beginning of the pandemic said, no, no, you know, we're doing fine. We've been supporting these people for a long time. It's no, no big deal. We don't need to change in a situation where the world was changing so rapidly, where their situation was changing rapidly and consistent. The only thing consistent was change on a daily basis. I mean, there's that phrase has been around for a long time. The only thing consistent is change, but usually that changes over, you know, months or years, not every single day. It was felt a lot in the club community. It was felt a lot in the events community too. I've seen friends Mm -hmm. who work in that um, have to struggle with making sure that everyone was aware of every single or like rule change or regulation change or law change in every single city and county across, you know, the country or even the world, it, it's exhausting. And if you don't with it, pe- people remember who, they'll remember to an extent who was there for them when it was easy to be there. But when you're there for them and you step up when it's the most difficult, I mean, that's what creates members for life. That creates customers who are in, in the corporate world and creates members in the association world who are going to be telling everybody how amazing you are and who will come back and tell you how much they appreciate it, which we talked about just a moment ago. And like I say, because we offered these zoom sessions during the pandemic, like we're, that's one of the, the ways we've evolved. We are now including those as just standard operating procedure, essentially. Um, and I, in another year, there will be something else that we're doing that will be the, the new thing that is now part of it. And I'm sure there'll be some things that we're doing now that we aren't continuing because it's no longer needed. It's no longer viewed as necessary. Yeah. And I think you just touched on something really important there. You can't go back to the old status quo either. There's yeah. now that expectation. Oh, well, you've been doing these. What do you mean you're stopping? It's easier now. Why are you stopping? That's the that's the constant challenge of associations. It's you're always trying to do something new, but you also have what you've used to do. So you have so you're looking at this new program. You want to bring this new program. You do this new program. It gets successful, but you have all these other programs um, that you've been doing that people sort of had the expectation to do. And this is getting way broader, way bigger, way bigger than just on just community. But that's that goes to the importance of your organization holding strategic planning to understand just how important uh, or, or to go back and evaluate what you're doing. And are some of the, val- the, the, the legacy programs, the legacy offerings, are those really valuable? Um, and that can be a very difficult conversation. We, we've held it at AMGA. Um, we, we took a look at our communities as part of strategic planning to say, OK, what can we change about them? How can we make them better? Um, from an organizational standpoint, but I, I think a, a challenge that is specific to associations, and to be clear, this is Joe getting on a soapbox right here, um, <laughs> is the, the need to look at what you've done, look at the sacred cows and say, okay, the, this is not necessary anymore, so we can let go of this, so we can do this other program that people value, that people want to do, that is new, that is fresh. So that you can have the, you can free the time and the resources to do that. And most of the time, what you want to do will better and take either take, take the place of and be better than what you were doing before. So it's okay to let go of the other thing. And I don't think everybody gets that. It's, it's misunderstanding the difference between, let's see if I can 
correctly articulate this. Letting go of something to embrace something else versus just cutting to cut. Yeah. You have there's only you can only hold so many things. You only have two hands. Nope. And you know, okay, you've got some arms and maybe you can pull your like shirt up a little bit and hold it like a basket, but you can still only hold so many things. At some point you gotta let something go to, as you put it, to embrace the other thing. And it's all about what's really important now, not five years ago. Right. And it seems like associations are always, I don't know of any association that is swimming in money. So no, it's, always trying to, it's always trying to use the, you know, what, what bubble gum and duct tape can we use to, to hold this together? And as you start to do put more and more, as your staff starts to do more and more, the ability to do something new, to do something fresh, do something relevant, the ability to do that is just challenged. And so you can either continue to let them struggle and not be able to, to innovate, or you can free them from some of the old responsibilities that maybe aren't as valuable to your members. That way they can make the focus on the new, new product, the new offering, the new program. Yeah. And I think that um, some of the clinging to status quo or clinging to what you did before is because at least you don't have a lot of money and therefore you don't have yeah. a lot of leeway to lose it. And the idea of letting go of something that you have an idea of how much money it's going to bring in can be pretty terrifying to try something out. Yeah. Um, but eventually you're going to get diminishing returns on that one thing. Right. The, 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 the paradox of management is people rarely get fired for saying no to something, but you have to say yes to the, to the new thing so that you can stay relevant. So you can stay, um, so you can offer something that's innovative. So you need leadership that is open to, to those changes. That's open. That's not afraid to say yes to something that maybe isn't perfect, but there might be a, a gem in there. It's okay sometimes to go in and, with the expectation that, okay, you're going to still hold on to the old thing for this year while you try the new right. thing. But if the new thing succeeds, you're either going to have to drop the old one or you're going to have to invest more money for more staff or someone to handle it because people can't handle both long term. And there's an inherent right. danger in that of people going, well, after both work, you go, well, okay, you did it this year. Why can't you just do it again? And that is likely not the case long term. But it's a method to try if all else fails in getting something approved. I think it's a good way to approach it for people who are listening and going, okay, getting people to let something go is never going to work. Then you might try that, but make it very clear short term. You're trying it short term. And I think also, your examples about just going in, knowing exactly how you're going to measure success, what tips the scales, things like that can be, it can make all the difference in getting them to go after if they don't let it go before. And, and again, a big part of this is you have to be open to realizing that your program, your great idea, maybe it's a failure. And if it's a failure, you have to accept that and move on. Take whatever learnings you can. But if it's not working, don't keep going back to it. Just because it's yours. Don't keep walking into the brick wall. Just just, yeah. just walk away from it. Uh, my last question, this is one that we ask everyone. Um, I think that the three ways are that people really need to be engaging members right now. Okay. So first, um, about once a year, we reach out to all of our community members and just ask how their council experience has been. 
We ask them, what do you like? What don't you like? Questions like that. It's a great opportunity for us to get specific quotes and stories that can be shared not only internally, but also externally with potential new members. Um, so I would say ask, going out to your community and asking them and bonus points if you can actually hold a phone to phone conversation with them as opposed to or a Zoom conversation with them as opposed to just an email. But I think that is one of them. Number two, quarterly thank you messages to everyone who is being active, especially on the, the, the discussion list, the listservs. In addition to that, I would add um, handwritten thank yous to your presenters. So uh, this is something that we do that I'm a big proponent of. Um, and I can't stress how often I've heard um, just how grateful people are that they're, they're, they're getting this recognition. And one of the things that we point out in these messages is we'll, we'll share specific quotes um, anonymized from members saying, you know, I get so much information from the, the discussions over the listserv. It's just been invaluable. We share that with the people who are posting the messages this way that they know that their peers are explicitly valuing their, their, their experiences and their, their sharing. I love that. Cause I know a lot of organizations will, uh, you know, send a, a thank you to speakers or they might, we did speaker gifts for a lot of our, our conferences, but the idea yeah. of that same level of appreciation and thank you to the people who are actually posting, mm -hmm. we think so much about automating engagement and really getting people to engage more on the community by approaching the people who aren't engaging. Mm -hmm. But the, of actually thanking and encouraging the ones who are. I, that's fantastic. I love that. And then the third one I would say is private face-to-face -face meetings. Um, I think especially given where we are in the world right now, we've one of the lessons we've learned is the importance of face-to-face -face connections. You know, there is certainly a role and a place for virtual, but it almost seems like it's built into our DNA that we require some degree of um, interpersonal connection with each other. So being able to bring people together to discuss challenges, to discuss solutions, to discuss ideas, um, and especially if those are focused around a, a particular role, I think that's a great way to get people engaged and a great way to demonstrate value. Agreed. I don't want to take up all of your time. I could sit here and ask you a few more questions, actually. But I do want to thank you so much for being here today and for sharing all of your experiences. I know that the listeners are going to get a lot out of it. So I'm really excited for them to hear this. It's been my pleasure. Always, always happy to, to help you, to help others out um, and answer questions. So just let me know if, uh, if you or anyone else has any questions. I'll be more than happy to chit chat. Okay. And I'm assuming, could people connect with you on LinkedIn? LinkedIn, absolutely. Feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, that's probably the, the easiest way to, to get a hold of me. Yeah, absolutely. LinkedIn. Cool. Um, I'll see if I can get them to maybe put a link to your LinkedIn account in the notes. But if not, definitely the, the spelling of your name and that your information that'll make it easy to find you will be in the um, episode notes. So thanks everybody else for joining in and listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. We're just about everywhere you can find podcasts. You'll find us. And um, if you have a moment and you want daily or weekly, not daily, weekly news in your inbox about association marketing, visit associationmarketingpros.com and subscribe to AMP.
the Association Marketing Pro newsletter.